Okay, so this marks the interview of myself, Rod Taylor, with Professor Robert Street. Where do you see the energy challenge today? Well, I really do believe that the world is now on a track where the solution of clean energy is very important. I think that quite a lot of our problems about climate change are induced by the emission of carbon dioxide from fuels of various kinds. I think nuclear energy is not a complete solution, but I do most fervently believe that it must be part of the whole solution to the energy problem. I look upon the energy problem as a multiplicity of technological techniques which are to be deployed if we are going to make any progress. And I do happen to believe if we are going to continue the kind of living that we've grown used to throughout the world. What about carbon sequestration of power plants, of coal power plants? Well, I have great problems with that because if you burn, say, one tonne of carbon, pure carbon, just for the sake of argument, what you do is to oxidise that carbon, produces carbon dioxide, and that will produce one tonne of carbon, will produce nearly four tonnes of carbon dioxide. It has an infinite lifetime, and if it is stored at high pressure underground, in my view, it represents a hazard for the future which will not go away, it is there forever. If it does escape, catastrophically, then you're going to release very large amounts of carbon dioxide gas into the atmosphere, which future generations will have to deal with. The other way to move, of course, is this dream of fusion, that there are very, very large problems indeed in achieving a practical way of utilising that kind of fusion energy. It's like trying to derive electrical energy by using a pipe to the sun and back. The problems of heat transfer, where you're utilising temperatures of many thousands of degrees, mm. is a real problem. It's a problem as far as materials are concerned. You don't have too many materials that can operate at very high temperatures. Now, earlier you mentioned your experience with the reactor in Harwell. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how that reactor worked? Does it bear it, any resemblance to the Fermi nuclear reactor in... Oh yes, very US? much so. It, it's simply an arrangement of blocks of uranium, uranium compound, metals, whatever, and this is arranged to be cooled either by sodium in some cases, by gases in others, and the, the proximity of that pile together with very pure carbon as a moderator will enable the pile to operate. And this of course was the original Fermi pile which operated for the first time producing energy at the rate of one half watt.
One half a One watt. half of a watt is what that first nuclear reactor produced. Really? And, and how much did you generate in Harwell? Oh, a few hundreds of watts. Perhaps a thousand, thousands, maybe. But very, very small compared with the megawatt reactors that are, or gigawatt reactors that are available now. Did, did it actually generate any electricity? Not at all. It was purely an experimental pile. It produced um, uh, neutrons, which I say was we used for neutron diffraction experiments. It was also used for producing the early radioisotopes, very, very small production of radioisotopes. For medical, for medical, purposes. medical purposes. But it was experimental. The whole thing was very much an experimental process. Were you very conscious of the safety implications back then? No. <laughs> there used to be um, um, safety engineers whose life we always used to think was to make it difficult for experimenters to utilise these neutron beams. They used to come round with their boron fluoride counters to see what the neutron flux was. They put the yellow tapes around areas where the neutron density was a little high, and that was fine. We had to get in there, so we removed the tapes and went in anyway. I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you're looking very fit, so... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> apparently, you didn't harm you greatly. So when, when did you become aware of the safety implications? Was it, was it theoretically known? Or? Oh, yes. Yes, it was. There are two types of radiation, the charged ones, electrons and protons and all these, um, and the neutrons and the gamma rays, which are not charged. There was a great deal of information on the bad properties of ionising radiation, from radium, for example. All the codes, the radiation safety codes, until be just before the world, the uh, World War Two, were based on the radium ionizing radiation experience. After the war, a lot of work went into discovering exactly what the radiation hazards of the other kinds of radiation were, and they were very strict codes. I may have been a, bit, a little bit facetious about the safety around bleep but it was nowhere near as dangerous as being near x-ray machines and in some cases can you summarize the main thing that was learned from bleep you've got to have pretty accurate knowledge of the way in which nuclei of all kinds react to neutron bombardment and that is called the measurement of cross sections you can measure effectively the capture of neutrons by nuclei. Now, if you're going to design any particular process, you need to know those figures accurately. And GLEEP was used in the early days for measuring these cross-sections. An interesting story about that one too, which was that someone in the States was asking about the cross-sections for collision of neutrons with nuclei of various kinds. And he suddenly realised 
that this was classified information because it is useful, it's an awful lot of effort required to get these numbers. So he said, oh, it's as big as a barn door. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason why that measurement, the unit of measurement of a cross-section for collision is called a barn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and how do you feel about the bomb now? Don't like it. <laughs> um, at night I say to myself, I think, that there are so many of these bombs in the world that we live in very dangerous times. I then say that if you're going to control this, it has to be a global effort. You have to have some security, military, I'm afraid, to protect any installation. And that has to be, has to be by agreement with all nations concerned and then the mind begins to boggle, doesn't it? Because our record of collaboration on the global scale is really rather poor. So I'm not very optimistic about the solution to the bomb problem. Mm. Okay, so if Australia is to pursue the nuclear option, what do we need to do to make it happen? I think the real problem is to, pers to persuade people that um, it really is a safe and clean option of producing energy.